Mahala. What's going on, everybody? I want to welcome you all to uh, Connect Community Church. My name is Pastor Derek. You can call me PD. Say what's up, PD. <laughs> That's good. Good, good. Hey, can we uh, just welcome all our guests that are in the house and then those that are watching online and cable? Let's give them all a big hand. Can we do that? Yeah. Awesome. So uh, we're going to roll right away and get right into our series because I got a packed, uh, power-packed message that I want to give you. We had an amazing first service, and hopefully uh, you, you can feel the buzz still from that, and uh, I believe it's going to continue this morning. Can I have an amen? You can get your worship guys out. You can follow along, and uh, there's some great note-taking stuff. There'll be some bonus stuff, and for those of you who like to do that, we always say note-takers are... History makers, and so we just think you learn more when you write something down, so we give away and give, give out uh, worship guides and pens and things like that, and I hope it's noteworthy. I hope it's noteworthy. So, uh, as, I, as I get going, um, let me just say that the first of the year is just a great time to kind of reset, you know, and refresh and, and recalibrate and any other reword and rewind and all that. Um, our lives, because we have this tendency, this, this uh, default to drift, you know, we, 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 the disease of drift. So you can be doing good for a while, and then before you know it, you're off course. You can go to the beach, you can, you can get in a raft out in the ocean, and uh, how many know if you're not anchored, <laughs> you can be out to sea in a very short period of time, you know what I'm saying? And the same is true in our faith. We can drift, and so we, we embarked in the first of the year as a church in 21 days of prayer and fasting. We believe statistically it takes 21 days to create and establish a new habit or reestablish an old habit and make it new. And so uh, we do that um, because not because it's some kind of elite discipline, but we actually believe scripturally it's an elementary discipline. So we're trying to bring back which is which what that which is really helpful to us and, and really basic and foundational to us staying strong and fervent in our faith. And one of the things I said at the beginning of the year kind of make two points, but one is, if you want this to be the best year of your life, make it your best year spiritually. Make it your best year spiritually. And because we are actually um, spiritual beings having a human experience. Listen, you're going to live forever somewhere. You're, gonna, you're an eternal being. You, and so we want to make the most of this life here now. We emphasize the part of us, the spirit part of us, uh, and give it jurisdiction over the other parts of us, the mind and the body. We do that by overnourishing our spirit, not necessarily focusing on malnourishing our body or our mind, but overnourishing our spirit. And as a result, all of a sudden, king of the hill is your spirit man. All of a sudden, your life begins to be led and directed by that which God created to lead and direct you. Is everybody tracking with me? So that's, what, that's really what the first of the year is all about. And then the other thing I always tell people is, if you'll give us a year of your life, See, if, if, you, if you're here and been here long enough, hopefully you can look around and you can say, okay, I, I, you know, I could, do, I, could do, I could do a little more of this. I could do life with these people, you know. They're not my people yet, but I think they could be my people, you know. There's, there's a certain safety about that. And I would just say to you, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're going through, you didn't get there in a day. You didn't get there in a week. You got there over time. And so some things take time to get out of that place and get to a place where God wants us to be. So we would say give us a year of your life. And then in that year, what we're going to try to do is continue what we've done during the fast, and that is emphasize two fundamental disciplines for the spirit part of us, and that's prayer 
and reading of the word. Now, prayer is you talking to God, but when you get into the word of God, the Bible, that's when God begins to talk to you. And so that's what, if I could pick a discipline, if there was only one, I would say, you need God speaking to you. So when you open the Bible, it's not a window into life. It's a mirror to help you see things that you need to see in your life, make course corrections and adjustments, and let it do surgery on your heart and your mind and even your body, and then it'll change your life. Amen? So in week one, we talked about how the Word of God is it's living, it's, it's, it, and it's active if we live and act on it. It's, it has spirit that accompanies the letter, the breath of God. It has the power. It's, power, it's a powerful book. And it's power for its own fulfillment. The word works. And then in week two, we talked about how, you know, you know, you've got to be able to kind of see what's going on in the Bible. So we kind of took a, a 30,000-foot view on the entire Bible. We did seminary in one service. And we basically took you through an entire Bible and saw how it was organized. We saw that it's, it's, not, it's not chronological. We have chronological Bibles, but the Bible, for those of you who have one physically with you, a paper Bible, it's not written chronologically. It's written in types of books. And we look at how it's broken down and how kind of these different books are all part of history. We're still in a, per, a certain part of history right now, and we got to see what was to come according to the Bible. Amazing. And then behind that 30,000-foot view, we saw even deeper. The mirror of that is there's this, this incredible plot within the Bible. And there's a subject within the Bible, and that's Jesus. And you want to find Jesus in every book in the Bible, and it'll change your Bible experience. And then last week, we talked about how if you want to... Uh, Love something more or someone more, you have to learn, you got to get more understanding. I love my wife 25 years ago, and if, if I change my mind, I'll let her know. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, just seeing if you guys are paying attention. Um, but, but I love her more now because I understand her more now. I still have a lot to understand, but I understand her more now. When you understand the Bible, you can fall more in love with it. So we looked at the Bible and really how to gain more understanding. Today, basically, what I want to do is I want to wrap this up because we're in day. You know, we're, we're past day 21. We're like day 28 now. How do we hold on to that which we got? How do we maintain what we've obtained? Is everybody tracking with me? In other words, you know, I, 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 sometimes when I'm fasting, I'm like, why? Or sometimes when I'm focused or I have some kind of goal and I'm living in that lane, I say to myself, why haven't I been doing this all the time? I feel so much better. I, I, I just focus in this, this fervor to life and this vitality that I feel. What happens that I would get, I, don't, I never want to leave this. And so I want to give you something that will help you hold on to what you've received. We had some highs during the fast. We culminated our fast last Sunday night in a healing and miracle service. How many were here for that? Raise your hand if you were here for that. Good and high. Yeah, it was an amazing, was it not an amazing service, yes or no? Amazing, amazing. Many people with documented miracles and, and things that happened to them during that time that may be new to you, but we believe that there's power in the name of Jesus. Amen. So John chapter 8, verse 31, as we kick this thing off, it says, Jesus speaking, if you hold, everybody say hold, hold, hold. It's if you, in other words, it's beyond just you know, getting it, beyond just learning it. If you want to hold on to the, the fast, if you want to hold on to the benefits, if you want to hold on to the, the, the teachings we received and the benefits from this series uh, and maintain what you've obtained, if you hold on to my teaching that Jesus says, then you're really my disciples. So, so to be a disciple, we can't just hear about it. We have to hold on to it. It's different is what he's saying. Now, here's the cool part, and here's, the, here's kind of if you accept that challenge, then a miracle is about to take place in this verse. It says, if you hold on to my teaching, then you will know. Everybody say no. That no is different than just like, you know, check a box, pass a test, take an exam, get an A. 
No, this is different than that. I taught about this before. The word there in the original language is epinosis. It's like the difference between a husband and a wife understanding pregnancy. When, when, we, were, when we were having a, a, ch- a child, my, my wife and I, we've had, you know, we, we've had four children. And, uh, uh, you know, you must love kids. No, I love my wife. That's what happens. And, uh, but when we're having children, we would say, we're pregnant. We're pregnant. How many know that Stacy knew we're pregnant at a whole different level? Yes or no? Come on, ladies. That's an amen point for you right there. Like, he don't know, and he don't know nothing. Yeah, we're pregnant. No, you don't know what pregnant is, son. Yeah. So this, this, this knowledge, no, is the result of holding on to teaching. You're, you become a true disciple. Then you're going to know something, and as a result of that, look what happens. It says, and the truth that you know, it what? It sets you free. So, so whatever problem you are facing in your life, you're having marriage problems, you're having relationship problems, you have a broken heart, you've been oppressed, depressed, you come in with some kind of instability in your life, you're having financial problems, you have a physical problem, listen, if you can hold on to Jesus' teachings... You'll come to a place where you know something at a deeper level than right here. It drops from here into here, and then it changes everything out here. That's what this verse is saying. Is everybody tracking this morning, okay? But holding on is difficult, isn't it? Yes? Holding on to things. Have you ever set a goal for something, and you're like, oh, man, I hope I can maintain this? You know, now, now you, some of you guys know, if you've been here any length of time, I like to, I like to, one of my hobbies is lifting things up and putting them down. Lift up, put down. Pick things up, put things down. Very simple. My life is super complicated, and I like that part of my life because all I do is pick things up and I put things down. I take things off and I push things off. I take things off and I push things off. And I lift things up and I put things down. It's super simple. I love it. But recently I was lifting something up and it was just going to fall down all by itself. Because it was so heavy, I couldn't hold on to it. So you got to be careful that you hold on to those things that are important to you. During the fast, uh, I had the, the, the byproduct blessing of losing a few extra pounds. But how many know? I found them. <laughs> Just two yesterday, we got reacquainted. I got on the scale, went, oh, there you've been there the whole time. It's unbelievable. It's hard to hold on to things, yes or no, Right? So if it's hard to hold on to something with the perfect God, then it's going to be really hard to hold on to something with imperfect people that you're sitting next to right now. Don't look at them. (laughs) They're there. They're there. That's why we're going to go into a relationship series starting next week, and you don't want to miss the kickoff of that series. Next week, it's going to get spicy, okay? It's going to get, it's, it's, I always talk to my wife, because when she gets a little, you know, I call it salsa. It's <laughs> a little bit of salsa in you right now. Come on, honey, settle down. I try to wrap my arms around that force field and calm her down. <laughs> oh, that's like a bug. Uh, we'll talk about that later, but... We're going to get into this relationship series, okay? And we're going to talk about this stuff because relationships can be tough. So we can say it's all good here. That's what we've been doing in the first part of the year. Now we're going to get it good here. And honestly, those two need to align. For this to be real, this has to be affected. Did you get that? The vertical always should translate into the horizontal. We can't say, oh, me and God are good, and me and my honey, we're not good. That's not good. That's good preaching. Okay, so it's like this woman, she came up to me, she said, PD, I've given up on relationships, I can't stand it anymore, they're just too challenging, they always let me down, always get hurt, she was saying this with 
a lot more real emotion about it. She said, she goes, and I just, I'm just not going to go down that road anymore. It always ends up in pain. It always ends up in rejection. It's so disappointing. She goes, you know what? The only, I've, I've determined that the only person who loves me unconditionally is my dog. <laughs> it's my dog. You know? It's, and every time I come home, it doesn't matter if I'm late, I've forgotten to feed him, I'm mad or I'm angry, he's always there with open arms, greeting me, tail wagging, he's always glad to see me. And she's probably right. She's probably right, and you can put that to the test. You probably shouldn't, but you could put that to the test. So, so if you're married, you know what you could do is you could put, your, you could put your, your, your spouse, if you're a gentleman, you could put your spouse in the trunk of a car with your dog. <laughs> listen, listen, you could close the trunk and walk away. And then you can just come back an hour later, and you pop the thing open, and you see who's happy to see you. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. That's not a good idea. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Just, all right. So let's talk about holding on to God's word. Open up. Uh, you're going to take some notes right here, learning how to maintain. I'm going to give you four things and some sub points that are really important. First is, for a foundation, you need to make it your foundation, okay? So to make... The word of God, your foundation, a part of your everyday life. The Bible says in Psalms 11, Psalm 11, 3, it says, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? It's not in your notes, but it's a bonus text. If the foundations are destroyed, what are you going to do? This is a huge area of focus in our lives. You, should, you need to build your life on the word of God. In fact, the, the other points that I'm going to give you, they don't work. They don't matter if you don't have this foundation. You're, you're, you're a spiritual house but what is it built on? You can tell, even though it's unseen, you cannot see it, the success that you see in people's lives, their marriages, their, their finances, their health, whatever, you pick an area, it's because of a foundation that most people cannot see. And the same is true in your faith. The faith that people are experiencing, the ability to overcome certain obstacles, the ability to believe and persevere through certain situations is because of a faith foundation. You need to build your life on a firm foundation. The quality, the direction, the trajectory of your life is determined by the foundation which you built it on. Don't build it on a worldly system. Build it on a word system. Colossians 2.8 says this, Be careful nobody spoils your faith through intellectualism. Or high-sounding nonsense. Such stuff is at best founded on men's ideas of the nature of this world. See, we want our life built on the nature of God and disregards Christ. Matthew 7, 24, a verse we've highlighted multiple times, says, Everyone who hears these words of mine, in other words, they come to church and they listen. But, but some people, that's it. We just come and hear. We just come and hear. No, the Bible tells us you got to have more than that. You put them into practice. You hear it, you walk out, it's a part of your everyday life. It's your foundation. It's something you do daily. Give us this day our daily bread, and then I eat and consume it, and then I live and act on it. Eat and consume it, and then I live and act on it. Is everybody tracking with me? Everybody that does that is like a wise man who does what? He builds his house on a rock. Why is a rock important? Because the Bible goes on to say in the next couple of sentences, winds are going to come, and try to knock that house down. Rains are going to come, and they're going to try to just wash that house away. And if it is built on sand and not on rock, it won't make it. And I'm telling you, in 2017, this might not be encouraging, but there's going to be some wind, and there's going to be some rain. And, and, and it would be a much funner message, uh, more funner, mostly fun, 
if I could tell you, you're going to be able to dance through the tulips and you're going to be able to avoid all the raindrops. But that's not how life is. God's telling us the rain's going to come on top of you. It rains on the just and unjust. The Bible's telling you the winds and storms of life are going to come. But you need to be planted, rooted, founded, and grounded on a rock. And that rock is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the word of God. They are one and the same. Amen? But a lot of times we build our life on the wrong things. Let me tell you some of the wrong things that will get us off track. The first one is popular culture. Popular culture. Truth by culture. It's very common. In other words, a mantra might be, uh, you growing up experienced this. It's very prevalent now. Hey, everybody's doing it. It's either spoken or unspoken. Everybody's doing, therefore it must be correct. It must be, it must be right. And I would submit to you that popular, whatever is popular, comes and goes. But truth remains. The word remains. It's forever. Jesus is the same, Hebrews 13, 8, yesterday, today, and forever. Can I have an amen? So, so, so as a result, my challenge to you is you might want to consider how much culture you are consuming versus how much Christ-centered fuel and food you are consuming. Because this notion that it's not affecting you is, is it creates, it's a deception, and it creates distortion in your world. And so the stuff that you're consuming, the, the media, the music, uh, the people, even that you, the fellowship, you know, going to Google before God, all that kind of stuff, I have to monitor that. You say, well, you're the pastor. I know, but I'm a Christian, and I'm also a human being. And so if I consume more of that, then I won't be able to not only have myself fed, but feed you. And the same is true for you. I won't be healthy, therefore the church won't be healthy. Smite the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. Shore up the shepherd and the sheep will gather, is what I always say. You've got to stay healthy and you do that, but make sure you monitor that. Because what you are taking in is infecting you, affecting you. Whatever you spend time on, in, or with, good or bad, is influencing your life. In the early days of my ministry... I had a friend, his name was Pastor, he was a youth pastor, his name was Sean, and Pastor Sean had a passion for young people, he had this ministry called Youth Storm, and he was taking this group of teenagers on a retreat one time, uh, a spiritual retreat, and they were going to have fun and do stuff, it was like a ski retreat, instead of traveling separate, he traveled with them on the bus, and, and he was a good youth pastor, and so while he was on the bus, this is back in the day when they had Walkmans, everybody remember the Walkman, you know what I mean, come on, cassette te- tapes, m- mixtapes, the whole bit. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I got some songs going through my head. I'm going to, oh, restrain yourself, Pastor. Restrain yourself. So anyway, um, they're listening to all this music. The, the, the headsets back then, you could hear just as much outside as you could inside. You know what I mean back then? So he's hearing all the music they're listening to, and it's like this just crazy, murderous, metallic, you know, just crazy, demonic music. You know what I mean? Blood-curdling music. I don't know who the people were, but he's just going, oh, my gosh. And so instead of like kind of beating him over the head, that's wrong, that's bad for you, he starts asking questions. And one by one, a common theme came up. Oh, Pastor Sean, it doesn't even affect me. A little, a little bit of that, I mean, yeah, I, Christian music is good, and I read my Bible and pray, but a little bit of that, that won't, that won't hurt me, that won't hurt me. Pastor Sean notes that. So, so they go through all these activities during the day. That night they have dinner. He goes, guys, I got a surprise for you. After dinner, Pastor Sean has his famous brownies. His famous chocolate brownies that he's going to make. Oh, they're so excited. Really? Oh, you made chocolate brownies? Yeah. It's awesome. So after dinner, he gives the brownies. The teenagers, like, true to form, they just, you know, swarm the brownies like vultures. They pull them away. They're just, just pushing them down with, like, sleeves. And, and, and they're just having the chocolates all over their face. And all of a sudden, you start hearing little, 
little comments, little, hey, does that, does that taste a little funny to you? You know, no, 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 it's all good. No, it's kind of smell a little funny to you. And uh, they're starting to make, Pastor Sean, Pastor Sean, what's in these? What's the ingredients in these? Oh, nothing, you know, it's normal stuff, you know what I mean? These are my special brownies, i got my special ingredients. What's in that? They start quizzing him. He goes through the normal list. But I'm not going to tell you, I can't tell you everything. If I told you the total thing, I'd have to kill you, you know what I mean, if I told you the whole thing. And so, they, so they're like, come on, come on, come on, there's something wrong with these. They kind of taste a little funny and smell a little funny. And he goes, no, 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 don't worry about it. It's just a little something, something in there. Just a little bit of something. It won't bother you. Don't worry about it. A little bit of what? A little bit of what? He says, so all of a sudden, he's got them all. They're like freaking out a little bit. He says, well, you know, I always put just a, just a little bit. This is, hang on now for this. He goes, I put a little bit of dog poop in that. I put a little bit of dog poop in those brownies. They go, what? What? Pastor Sean, you got to be kidding me. You know, they're running over the trash can. They're crying. They're crying. They're freaking out. They're yelling at him. You know, like, you got to be kidding me, Pastor Sean. He goes, yes, I'm kidding. Yes, I'm kidding. But a little bit of dog poop won't kill you. And see, we don't think about the fact that well, sometimes we're consuming a certain amount of poison and we just, we just rationalize it, we minimalize it, we marginalize it like it's not bothering us. And all of a sudden he had them and he began to teach about how toxic influences can hurt us. If, you know, if you took a glass of water and I told you there was one little bit of drop of cyanide in it, nobody would drink that water. But we don't think about that when it comes to culture and maybe how it's affecting us. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong, it says in Exodus. 1 Corinthians tells us in chapter 15, bad company corrupts good character. Pop culture, be careful. Number two, tradition. A lot of people don't have their life built on truth. They have it built on tradition. And there's nothing wrong with tradition, but we can't allow it to triumph over or trump truth. Trump truth. I have, I have traditions that I love. I have, I have this tendency when I'm by myself and I'm having my devotional time, that's just kind of your time with God, I read my Bible. And one of my favorite things to do when nobody's home is pull out a guitar. Or, or sometimes I don't even do that, but I just begin to sing. And my gravitational pull because of my upbringing is to, is to sing traditional hymns, those old songs. You might not like those, but that's where I go. You know, I like to, when peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like deep billows roll. Pretty good, right? <laughs> Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to pray, it is well, it is well with my soul. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I started a little high. <laughs> Bring it down a key next time, PD. Bring it down a key. <laughs> Whew! But the point is, that's where I go because that's, that's, that's a tradition for me. But tradition is a tradition because it worked. That's how it became a tradition. But what happens is over time, we exchange tradition, the practice of it, instead of the priority of it. We exchange the focus of it on the object of our worship for the method of it as the object of our worship. And tradition suddenly triumphs or trumps truth. And that's why people will fight over the way we do something. And see, you need to know that at Connect, we're basically saying the message must remain sacred, but the methods are not. So, well, what do we, Pastor, you know, why do we change the music? Why do we change the music? What happened to the lights? Now we got like smoke blowing in my face. 
Okay, because, listen, I just said this just two services ago. There was, there was a light thing happening in the worship, and I was like, whoa, you know what I mean, like this. Because it's not about me. Because I want to build a church that is not for my grandparents. Grandparents, I want to build a church for the next generation because the church of Jesus Christ is one generation away from extinction. And we must be looking ahead for what's best for the future, not just what's best for me. And if it works, I'll keep doing it. And I'll give up my preferences and my traditions for the truth being perpetuated from one generation to another. Is everybody tracking with me? Some of you are like, oh, that hurts, that hurts, that point hurts. <laughs> in a lot of places sometimes we've exchanged jesus said this in mark 7 8 you have let go of the commands of god and are holding on to the wrong thing human traditions i love those things yeah but you're not worshiping in those things anymore you're worshiping the tradition here's the third thing reason everybody say reason for a lot of us our foundation is built on 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 uh, let me think about that first let me let me let me just let me evaluate Hmm, hmm, hmm. I'm going to use my intellect and my logic and, you know, in my uh, humble opinion, no, it's not humble <laughs> because you're comparing yourself to God. Okay, and so what happens is, before you know it, we've elevated reason. This is a big issue in our self-reliant, in particular, New England culture in where we live. And reason is where, this is, what, this is what I've always thought. This is what I believe. And this is what seems, keyword, right to me. I've often heard this sometimes in private counseling. I even heard Pastor Teach um, through our thin walls at the office, and he was, he was ministering to somebody, and this person was just going on and on about their thing, their thing. And basically he was trying to tell them, yeah, but the Bible, yeah, but the, yeah, but the Word of God. And they, had, and they didn't want to hear it. They could basically say, and they're saying, I know what the Word says, uh, we, but I've thought about this, and we're going to do this. That is very common today. That's a, that's, a, that's a contradiction as a Christ follower. And as a result, I would submit to you, as a result of this contradiction or this, this conflict, our world and Christianity is really fallen into it, has just redefined things that the Bible had defined and established long ago. Some people don't like this point, but we, because we thought it was best for us. In Proverbs 16.25, it says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to It'll kill you. It'll kill you. Anytime there's a conflict between what seems right and what God's word says, I'm advising you as your pastor, go with God. Go with God on that. Because he's God, and because he's bigger, and because he's wiser, and because his ways are higher, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Can I have an amen? Here's, the, here's, the, here's another one. Feelings. Another wrong foundation is feelings. We talk a lot about this at church, but let me just say, this is the most crazy thing to build your foundation on is your feelings. The common kind of mantra here is, if it feels right, do it. If it feels right, do it. This is a very secular, culturally accepted notion that has led people individually, corporately into chaos. Chaos. Your feelings are unreliable. Your feelings have just this morning lied to you in some way. You go to the coffee, I need coffee or I can't make it another day. <laughs> People have thought that, felt that, said that. That's what happens in your, in your daily routines. If I obey my feelings rather than God, it's always, always, always in the end, eventually going to end badly for me if you follow your truth over God's principles. 
Everyone that's had a chance to return to God always says, when they say, my life's a mess, they'll always say, you know, they'll always surmise or figure it out eventually. It's because I abandoned God's truth and I followed my feelings. There's a book in the Bible that many of you guys know, and, there, and, and it was a time and a season when Israel had no king. Israel didn't want a king. Israel had no king, didn't want a king. They were just judges, and, and it was chaotic for these people. Chaotic because there was no submission to a standard. There was no submission to an authority. And the book of Judges in chapter 21, look what it says in verse 25. It says, at that time, um, there was no king in Israel. People did whatever felt they felt like doing. Doesn't that sound like 2017? It does. It does. And so, so, so what happens is we just go our own way. But then when it comes to the word of God, some of us, we want to trust God's word, but we have some tough questions. We don't know what to do with these questions. Like, Pastor D, what do I do when I don't understand? So in other words, you're trying to get us to get on this trajectory, daily get into God's word, reading the Bible. And I've been doing that. But then I come to this place and I'm like, what is that? What do I do with that? And we're going to unpack some of this a little bit more as we go forward. I don't understand. I'm confused. This is what I would submit you should do, what you should consider. And the first one is, you might want to write this down, but you have to decide. You have to decide that God's word is true. The Bible says in Romans 3, 4, God is true. Let every man be a liar. Romans 3, 4 says that. In other words, you've just got to, I don't understand it. It's be, it just doesn't, it doesn't mean it's wrong. Just because I don't understand it doesn't mean it's wrong. I don't have to understand it to agree with it. I have other places in my life where I don't understand things, and yet I'll move forward. I don't understand aspects of my wife, but I've learned happy wife, happy life. I need to, I'll figure it out in relationship with her. I trust my wife, even though I don't sometimes understand, and sometimes she doesn't understand me. How much more should we trust a holy God who created us? How much more should we trust a God who will give our eternal security We'll put our eternal security in his hands, but we won't trust his words. We won't trust his words because his ways are higher and he's bigger and we should. And so if, if God could fit into my brain, we should not follow him. <laughs> How's that for reasoning? All right? So if an infinite God could fit into a finite brain, then, uh, then it's, he's not worthy of fellowship. And some of us are more comfortable with, with a God size of us than a God who is far greater than us. Some of you are reducing the size of God to your size, and you're more comfortable with that than a God who's bigger than you. Part of the joy of the journey is learning and understanding. If you understood it all in the beginning, then God knows you might extricate yourself. You might distance yourself from God because suddenly you become God in the process. God wants to create a relationship with you, and part of that adventure is learning and understanding things along the way. So I don't have to agree to, uh, to, to I don't have to understand this to necessarily agree with it. Is everybody with me? So what do I do, though, when I read something, Pastor D, and I don't like it? <laughs> that happens to me a lot, okay? At the end of the day, I would say to you, obey it. You just obey it. A good parent, you know, when you look, how many of you are parents? Raise your hand if you're parents. Yeah. I would, bet, I would bet you, venture to say, that a lot of the things, maybe not all, because some of us, you know, a lot of, all of us really come from certain levels of dysfunction. But the things that were right when we were growing up that we didn't understand, they told us to do things, told us to do things, told us to do things, we're like, oh, my gosh, my gosh, my gosh. Now we look back as parents and go, oh, yeah, I get that. That makes perfect sense why they did that, right? Because, because it's, on, it's on the other side of that relationship. 
that we gain that perspective. But God wants us to trust him on this side of the relationship by obeying. We can't say, make the Bible fit me. We fit the Bible. We fit God's word. And when you do that, a foundation is built. The foundation is built by trust and obey because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. But for some of you, the only way understanding is going to come is on the other side of obedience. Oh, some people are listening. Some people have already checked out, you know, out to eat already but because the fast is over. How many of you guys remember or watched the movie Karate Kid? Raise your hand. Karate Kid, if you have not watched that, I mandate as your pastor... <laughs> This evening that you watch Karate Kid. Mr. Miyagi, okay, he's teaching the young Padawan learner, right, how to be an you know, effective fighter. And so, so Daniel's son, right, so he, he's doing these exercises with them. And, and basically he pulls, them, he pulls them in. He's like, okay, we're going we're gonna to paint the floor. We're going to paint the fence. You know what I mean? And then he goes, wax off. Wax off, Right? And he's doing that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Every day he's coming, and that's all he's doing. Paint the floor, paint the fence, wax on, wax off. One day, Daniel's son shows up. He's like, Mr. Miyagi, I'm done with you. You told me you were going to teach me how to fight. I'm out of here. And he goes, Daniel's son. He comes around. He's like this, and he goes, look me in the eye. Look me in the eye. He looks him in the eye. He goes, wax on. Wax on. Wax off. And he goes through the whole thing. Paint the fence. Paint the floor, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, Mr. Miyagi goes, ha! And Daniel's like, goes, what's on? Hi-ya! What's on? Hi-ya! Hi-ya! Do, 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 do. You know, he's doing all that stuff. Ha! 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 Then all of a sudden, Daniel's son can realize it all pops for him. He's sitting there, he's going, oh, I get it now. On the other side of obedience, I've been made a fighter. Are you guys getting this? That's what God's trying to do with you and me when we obey him. Much of your Bible will be understood if you just obey it. Okay, here's the second thing. Put it first in your life. Everybody say first. The Bible says in Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God. And then it goes on to say, in the context of this chapter, there's all these worries you have in your life. But all those things are going to be taken care of. Everything you worry about, if you'll put me first, I'll take care of that, is what he's saying. He's basically saying, he's saying, what do you give? Listen, what do you give someone that has everything? God. You give him the first of everything you have. It's not about amounts. It's not about an offering. It's not, it's not money. It's first. See, tithing is just all about being first. He wants to be first in your time. So you go, oh, I don't want, I'm going to give them the leftovers at night. No, give them the first few minutes of the day. Roll out of your bed. Drop to your knees and begin to give God the first minutes of your day. Why? Because it tells God what matters to you. Because what matters is that he's first. He will only accept the first position in your life. And when you put him first, he'll put your agenda first in his life as well. Your priorities, listen, here's the incentive. Your priorities will determine your capacities. So basically God is saying, I'll make your agenda my agenda, when you make my agenda yours, and then whatever you do, I'll take care of it for you. I'll help you do more than you could ever possibly dream or imagine. That's what happens when you put God first. So some of you are just starting this journey of getting your word every day. And the thought of tarrying one hour, as the old King James says, freaks you out. Praying for one hour, oh my gosh, what would I say for one hour? 
Like we can go on social media for like seven hours, but we can't talk to God. But anyway, no judgment. So here's the thing. I want to teach you how to have 15 minutes with God. Just 15 minutes every day so you can maintain what you've obtained. Write this down. If you're starting out, give God the first five minutes in the Word. In the Word. Now, I can make it 15 minutes easy because on our, our website, we have a one-year Bible. And if you do the reading plan that's on the Bible, it has, it has a New Testament for a balanced diet, Old Testament, a Psalm, and a Proverb. So you get a little bit of that every single time, and a devotional, that takes about 15 minutes. So easily, you could do that. But you say, oh, Pastor I don't have 15 minutes. I can't get on my computer. It's just too hard. It's too hard. Okay. Then I would say, just read uh, some, uh, the New Testament. Just read a gospel. Okay, just read three or four chapters. That's what I'm doing in the Gospels. Read three or four chapters. That'll take you about five minutes to read three or four chapters in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, just keep repeating that. Go through that over and over again. Eighty, I think, nine chapters. I don't have time. I don't have time. It's five minutes is too much. And I would say to you, then just read one psalm. Just one psalm. Because you have one and a half minutes every day to read the word. Read one psalm. Well, I don't have that much time, we want to pray for you. But no, but I would say to you, then read one proverb, which is one verse. It'll take you about 15 seconds. Why do I say that? Because I'd rather you read one verse in the Bible every day than nothing at all. Can I have an amen? Just start your day. Make the first part of what you do, getting in the Word. And if you don't have time for that, we even have app, app, apps that you can put on your phone. You can listen to it while you're driving in the car. Let the first media not be social media, but God's media. Amen? Right. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. The second thing you can do in this 15 minutes, the next five, is worship. Worship. Now, I kind of dis displayed that or demonstrated that, but for some of you, uh, you know, you're listening to other things. Let the first five minutes, I'm telling you this will change your life. Five minutes in the Word, five minutes of worship. Listen to some God-centered worship music. It will soothe your soul. It'll, it'll take that rage and that crazy and just, just settle you right down. I mean, I mean you, you see examples of this in the scriptures with Saul and David. You know what I mean? It would just, it would just those tormenting spirits, all those things that get your mind in different places. Uh, places and the wrong perspective all changes and let me say something strong to some of you in this room some of you miss the best part of church because not because i'm judging you because you don't understand you don't get what worship's all about worship is, is where you can just release all the cares of this world to god and then he releases his his fresh presence anointing and even perspective on all those things comes upon you when you worship God. It literally would change you. Some of you come and you realize that and you come with all of your stresses and all of your, the things that have got you all tied up in knots and all the things that got you beat up and all the people you beat up. Some of you come to church and, you know, and your kids are driving you crazy and you got your arm back here and you're whacking them and smacking them and you've, like, you've like ripped your deltoid out, you know what I mean? Just like trying to, ah, kids, ah, you know, and you bring all that into church. You know, and, and, and you just begin to release all that to God. And a song about Jesus comes on, and you begin to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, in your worship, and all of a sudden that thing lifts, that spirit of heaviness, because you put on a garment of praise, comes over you. It changes, and the weight of the world lifts. That's what worship is all about. Psalm 34 says, I'll extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always, always, always be on my lips. Five minutes of prayer is the next one. People freak out about prayer. One time, recently, a gentleman in our church came up to me and said, Pastor D, I don't know how to pray. 
I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to do. I want to pray, but I don't know how to pray. I listen to my wife pray, and, and, and I can't pray like her. And, and I, I don't know. Let me give you a simple, simple method. God makes it simple. We make it complicated. Man overcomplicates. God simplifies. So don't overcomplicate it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Look in your notes. It says, don't be anxious about anything. Anything is anything. But in everything. That means everything that's going on in your life by prayer. So whatever you're dealing with, deal with it by prayer. How do you deal with everything? By prayer. So that's how you deal with it. And petition. With thanksgiving, you can circle under nine thanksgiving, present your request. You can, you can circle that, your request, to God. So here's the two-point method. You can just take five minutes. Take two and a half of the five minutes. Start your prayer time with God. I'm so thankful. I am so thankful for my health. I'm so thankful for the breath in my lungs today. I'm so thankful. Look outside. You know, it's a nice day. I'm so thankful there's no more snow on the ground. I'm so thankful, Lord God, you know, for my family, for my wife. I'm so thankful that my bills are paid. I'm so thankful that I have a job to go to. I'm so thankful I have an interview this week, and I believe God's going to do something great. Whatever it is, you begin to thank God for two and a half minutes. This exercise literally will change the chemistry of your mind, your body, but more importantly, it's doing something on a heavenly realm as well. And then the next two and a half minutes, you present your requests to God, the things that you, your needs, your issues, the things that are going on in your life. And trust me, none of y'all are going to have trouble with that. Five minutes goes by, just like that. Now, here's the promise. If you order it right, remember, God's interested in being first. You order it right, you're awesome, I'm not, thank you. Before you say, gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy. When you order it right, then the promises, it says, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. How many don't need a little peace? That's a promise that God has for us in his word when we pray. Can I have an amen? Isn't that good? All right, number three, become a mature follower. Become a follower. Oh, I love this point. Get ready. This, this message is going to get even better. Is everybody ready for this? So listen, your faith was never meant to stay the same. Some of you are like, tread water. Let me tell you, have you tried to tread water? I, was, I, I did lifeguard. Uh, I got my lifeguard certification when I was 13 years old. I had to carry like a 220-pound man. That's like me putting, you know, Chris on my shoulders by myself. Uh, he's a big man, just in case you're wondering. And so, so it was brutal. It was brutal. And so, so treading water, it just doesn't work. God wants us to move forward in our faith. But how do we do that? The Word of God is how we do that. So, so I have a little illustration here, all right? This is a hot cup of water, so pay attention, Pastor Derek. Okay? This is a tea bag. Yes, you're right. Nothing tricky about this. So look at this. The water represents your soul, and the tea bag represents the Word of God. So one little dip of this tea bag in there, and not that much has happened yet, has it? Come on, baby. All right. So you come to church. And you get one little dip for about 45 minutes, depending on how long Pastor D is. And let me just tell you something. In spite of how good he thinks it is, that's about how much change there is from that message in your soul. Because you just got one dip. But the word of God, if you keep on dipping, you just keep on dipping. Oh, there she comes. And the point is that as you begin to dip the word of God into your soul, then the character, the nature, even the smell and the aroma of your soul begins to change as you dip in the Word of God. Some of you are just dipping once. 
and you need to dip every single day the Word of God into your life. So I want to give you some tools that when you're dipping in the Word, you get more out of it. Because some of you are not getting a maximum return on your investment when you're dipping in the Word of God. God wants you to steep in the Word of God. Be steeped in the Word of God. Colossians 3 says, let the Word, let the Word, everybody say let. That means you got to let it of Christ dwell in you richly, richly. So what are those dips that help you go deeper? Let me give you those. So some of that comes because of, of reading the Bible, but there's different translations, Pastor D. What's up with all these translations? Is there just one? What's the right translation for me? There's not just one translation that's right for you. So I want to break down a little bit on these translations so that you can kind of understand it. Um, first of all, when you, when you read your Bible... You need to understand you're reading an English Bible, but the original language was in Hebrew and Greek, okay? So the original, just the original writings of the scripture, Hebrew and Greek. But we don't speak Hebrew and Greek. We speak English, okay? So translators came in, and they, they translated the Bible, and they put it in, uh, I'm going to find my, my King James. The first English translation, there's a lot of Bibles up here. The first English translation was the King James. This is a new King James. It was the King James. King James was written in six, trans, uh, transcribed or, or uh, interpreted in 16, not tr interpreted, translated in 1611. 1611, this was the, at the time, the most famous translation to King James. It actually, it's like an old English, okay, and it sounds like it, okay. And some people, Christians uh, who have been in the faith a long time, they have revered and followed this particular translation as if God is from England, and I want to announce that God is not from England. And you don't have to say, whithersoever thou goest, and thou, and art, at the beginning of every sentence, okay? All right? So God is not from England. But this is a great translation, is the King James. So uh, there's different types of translations, but again, they were translated into English. Let me give you the three types. Are you with me, everybody? All right? Get one that you like, but there are different types. There's a, there's a formal or exact equivalency Bible, okay? So the New King James... Um, another type would be, um, where's my New American Standard? Here we go. These are all from my office, just in case you're wondering what a freak show I am. Um, yeah, I don't, have my, uh, I don't have my other one. But uh, Old King James, New King James, uh, New American Standard is another one. These are, um, the ESV is one I left at my home. These are what we call word-for-word -word translations. So the, the translators were basically taking the original manuscripts and translating them word-for-word. -word. So these are what you call good study Bibles because you want to go deeper into the meaning of the words because English is insufficient in its ability to translate accurately the different uh, nuances of the original languages. So the word-for-word -word will give you like these concordances and the deeper meaning of those words, and you can really see what's behind those words. Now, the other style is what we would call uh, a dynamic or functional translation. This is an example of that, uh, the functional or, or dynamic equivalency. This is a thought-by-thought -thought translation. So they took English translators, looked at the original languages. Instead of word-for-word, -word, they did it thought-for-thought. In addition, the benefit of this is in the, in the word-for-word um, -word translations, there sometimes have some struggles in our ability to understand them because over 2,000 years, 
though the word didn't change, the grammar changed. So this took into account, the translators took into account the fact that grammar has changed, so it's culturally sensitive and accurate to that. And in addition, it's trying to get the thought, the sentence by sentence. So this is a really good reading Bible, like a, a New Living Translation or a, this is my favorite one, New Living Translation, a good reading Bible, a good devotional Bible. This isn't a study Bible, this is a good reading Bible or a Good News Translation or a TEV Translation. Uh, these are great, great reading Bibles because they're thought for thought. Is everybody still with me? Now, another type translation would be called the paraphrase. Everybody say paraphrase. All right. Now, paraphrase, there are different types of paraphrase. This is just one. But um, paraphrase is basically uh, an English translation of an English translation. So it's not English from original. So, in fact, the first uh, paraphrase was the Living Bible. So this was actually translated, Living Bible was actually translated by a, fa by a father to help his kids understand the Bible better in English. So it's not a perfect, accurate translation, but it's a good one for kids. Then they've come up with some other ones. This is my favorite one written by Eugene Peterson. He's a brilliant man. Again, it's an English of the English. And this is called The Message. We, we sometimes use this. I've already used this in the service already. The Message is a fantastic translation. Very, very popular. In fact, you know, the way sometimes things read, it's pretty cool. It's very contemporary. So while the Bible would say in Psalm 122 in the NIV, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. The, the Message would say, dude, let's go to church. It's awesome. You know what I mean? Like, no, it's not that, it's not that much, but it's pretty close to that. Okay. <laughs> Just seeing if you guys are there. All right. Let me give you an example of three different translations and how they would pan out. So if you're reading like the NIV or you're reading the King James, here's three translations of 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is the, the scripture you always hear at weddings about the, the chapter of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 from the King James says this. It says, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself and it is not puffeth up. I added a little bit to that. Okay. Then they have the NIV. Okay. Now, the NIV is my favorite dynamic translation, um, but it is also an exact. It has both elements. So it has, it has thought. That there were 100 scholars that translated the, the manuscripts into the NIV version in 1987. 100 of them. And they basically took into account the word-for-word -word elements of the translators and the thought-for-thought -thought and formed the NIV translation. And so what's good about this is you will see that it is easy to read, but it is also a great study Bible. So this is, for many people, this is your upgrade. This is what you need to do to take it to the next level is get you a good study Bible. And the NIV is the best-selling Bible of all time because it incorporates both. Listen to the NIV of that same King James. Love is patient. See how it trimmed it back? Instead of saying, suffereth long, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Really easy to understand, but very true to the word-for-word -word translation. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, written from the message, it says, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than self. Love does not want what it does not have. Love doesn't strut and doesn't have a swelled-up head. <laughs> Isn't that great? So if you don't want a swelled-up head, you read... From the message translation, is everybody tracking with me out there? All right. So, so basically, what I'm telling you is, you study with the formal, exact word translation. You have devotions or daily reading with the dynamic or functional translation, and then you kind of salt and pepper it and flavor it with the paraphrase to keep it fresh. Everybody with me? 
Isn't that good stuff? Does it help anybody out there? Here's some good study Bibles. If you want a good study Bible, I already told you the Thompson Chains, my all-time, the NIV right here. This is, it's NIV. There's different types, but a new international version. It's my, I recommend that one. It's, it's my favorite, the best selling of all time. Another one is called the, uh, the Leadership, this is a good study Bible. This is the John Maxwell Leadership Bible. If you're a businessman, businesswoman, this is really cool because it has um, leadership principles after every chapter. And so you can get literally entire, like, insights into the Word of God that can help you train yourself and train others. Phenomenal, phenomenal Bible uh, that I highly recommend. Um, another one is the New Spirit-Filled Bible. Um, they have an NIV and King James, so they have a, a, a combo, and they also have a word-for-word. Word. This is Jack Hayford. Some of you know who he is, and a few scholars put together this spirit Great commentaries, great concordance. In other words, that's resources that help you understand the scriptures you're reading. I love it. But let me tell you something that makes all of this make sense and work in your life, and you can write this down, you, you need to get into a connect group. And here's why. Here's why. Some of this stuff you will never get until you talk about it with someone else. I cannot possibly emphasize that enough. You, will, you have to discuss the Word of God in order for it to change and transform you. And sometimes you might think, well, i got to be in a Bible study. No, you just need to be with Christians where you can talk about the Bible. Can I have a better amen from everybody out there? You just need to be with Christians, interacting over information. This is informative, and it has a level of transformation. Remember, listen, you just got a dip. But if you got in a small group and week in, week out, you began to talk and discuss the Word. You were in daily devotion with the Word. You were going to church on Sundays and sitting under the Word. And then you went back to your small group and you began to study and interact. What begins to happen is you begin to... See, you don't read your Bible just to read your Bible. You read your Bible so that you literally change yourself into the nature of God. You want to look like, and this begins to, you begin to look like the author. And you begin to, it's like magic. You begin to smell different, change the atmosphere in which you're in. And the atmosphere that, that you go into is changed because you have conformed to the word of God, not to the pattern of this world because you keep steeping yourself daily in the word of God. And small groups offers that for you. Today, we have an opportunity for you and next week in particular to get involved in a small group. You can talk to somebody down in the lobby downstairs. We have all different types. It'll change you from the inside out where you are a new person. And last point is this. Write this down. Use your sword. Everybody say sword. I have a sword up here. This is a real sword. I'm going to pull it out of my scabbard. This is a gladiator sword. This is a real deal. Just so nobody come up here and mess with me, all right? <laughs> why, why do you have this? Because, listen, the, the, ow, uh, <laughs> the word of God sometimes is just seen as like a nice book. You know, just a few nice thoughts. You know, poems and poetry. The word of God is a weapon. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible tells us to put on the full armor of God. But the only weapon mentioned is the sword of the spirit. Ooh, this, this guy. Ah, you know what I'm saying? Like the only, the only weapon mentioned is the sword of the Spirit. And so if you think about when Jesus was tempted and you're tempted, temptation can mean trial, test, temptation. That word is very interchangeable. When Jesus was tempted by the devil himself, I venture to say none of you have been tempted by the devil himself. Just one of his little imps. But when you're tempted by the, he was tempted by the devil himself, his weapon was a sword, the sword of the Spirit. And every time he was tempted, he said, it is written, Papa! It is written. Luke 4, Matthew 4, he kept just coming back with the word of God. You need to understand your weapon. You need to memorize the word of God. 
You need to know the different swords that you have, the different words that you have from the Word of God, you know, and memorize those things. That's why you want to study it so you have taken it in so much that when that temptation, trial, difficulty comes, you can say, it is written, Satan. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Memorize the word of God. It will literally change your life. Can I have an amen? Stand to your feet. Let's pray. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I've gone way over. I should have done this in the two weeks. I'm sort of sorry, but not exactly. But I hope you guys got a lot out of this. Would you close your eyes? I want to I pray for you. I want to pray for you. I would ask you to quickly get your kids and just help me as your pastor because I don't want to stretch our, our team unnecessarily. And In all honesty, get, you know, connect if you want to get in a small group and then get on up out of here as quick as you can because we have another service coming in. I would appreciate that as well. Um, and uh, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, for every person that's in this room, within the sound of my voice, I pray that if they have a need, they come and get more prayer. But whatever their need is, I pray that they was met because they came and sat under the word. They were changed by the word. Lord, I pray that they would become so in love with the word of God and steep themselves in the word of God. May that picture of the water of their soul being transformed by the word just, just resonate with them tomorrow morning and the next morning and the next morning. And Lord, for the person that's here today that feels far from God, distant from God, maybe even the person that's listening online today, Lord, I know you want to connect with them. And I know you want to reach out to them. And sometimes you do that through people. And sometimes you do that through a local church. And I think that could be an opportunity for somebody here. If you know you're far from God and you want to be in relationship with God, and you've never made that connection. You never did something physically that affected you spiritually. The way we do that is we, 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 we say yes to God. And then we confess that he's our Savior and our Lord. And that we need him in our life. And we start by simply just raising our hand and saying, that's me. I want to say yes to God and I'm going to pray for you. If that's you and you need God, I just want you to raise your hand good and high. See, that's me. I want to make sure I know God today personally. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, sir, ma'am. That's awesome. Is there anybody else? Good night. Yep, all the way in the back. I see your hand. That's all. Yes, I see your hand in the middle there. That's awesome. Yes, sir, over there on the left. That's great. Is there anybody else that says that's me? I don't want to miss it. God bless you. God bless you. You can put your hands down, and I'll pray for you. Church, would you pray this prayer with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Say, Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word changes, that your word works. May it work in me. May it dwell in me richly. Today, I surrender my life to you for the first time or again. I give you all that I am. I want to serve you. I want to follow you. I want to be a mature believer in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to obey whatever you say. And I know on the other side of that is blessing. Father, for every person that prayed that prayer, I pray you seal that prayer, you seal that commitment. The Bible tells us that when people do that, that the angels rejoice in heaven because we made that decision and we made that affirmation. May you witness that to them. And we thank you in this church and in this house. And everybody begin to clap and shout and thank God for that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Have a great Sunday, guys. God bless you.